This is week number five in our uh, series titled Faith Bit, 10-week journey through the book of James. Today we're in the second half of James chapter 2, where uh, James is pretty strong and pretty blunt and uh, I think uh, pretty uh, powerful in what he has to say. Here is the cliff note if, if you're taking notes. Here we go. If we have real, genuine faith in Jesus Christ, we will do works that prove that our faith is real. Catch that? If we really are followers of Jesus Christ, then we cannot show our faith to be genuine unless we have good works to verify that we really belong to Jesus Christ. Again, Please don't misunderstand what I or James is going to talk about today. We're saved, we're born again, we're justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. His finished work on the cross, that's what we just celebrated. His shed blood, his resurrection from the dead. It's by faith alone, not by works, so that nobody can boast and think, I did it. None of us can do it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. A relationship with God based entirely on the work that Jesus has done for us. You understand that, right? Shake your head if you get it. It's, it's all about by believing in Christ, by faith, receiving what he did for us. Uh, but once we're justified, here's the message today, once we've believed in the cross and the shed blood and the empty tomb, we're justified so that other People can see it by our works. So salvation comes from Jesus, but once we receive salvation, other people can see that we belong to Jesus by our good works. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, we're called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So once I've said yes to Jesus, you and I are called to go and be his representatives all throughout northern Michigan, wherever we go. Right, Glenn? At 911, at school, in our neighborhoods, at work, on the football field, on the soccer field, in the store, with the cashier. Everywhere we go, we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Excuse me. How can anyone see Jesus if there are no good works? How does anybody know that we really belong to... How can they know that Jesus is alive and living in us if there's no good works as a result. If all we ever do is go to church and read our Bibles and listen to Christian music and watch sermons on YouTube and listen to podcasts, what will the people around us think? If that's what we do, if we're always doing those things, they're going to think, well, um, they're interested in spiritual things, but, but I don't see any actual Jesus going on in their lives. Because we're not showing them what Jesus is like through our good works. Meaning, they will not be touched. They will not be helped. They will not be encouraged. They will not see demonstrated in our daily lives that Jesus is in us and real and working through us. If our faith is going to make a difference in the world around us, then we need both. We need faith, first of all, in Jesus Christ and daily walk with Him. But then secondly, we need good works. 
as I stay connected to Jesus and get filled with his spirit, we're called to good works, to good fruit. So, so you can't separate the two. We know Jesus. We love Jesus. He's alive and in us through his spirit. And now we demonstrate to the world our good works so they can see, oh yeah, I see what you're talking about. You have something in you that's different than what I have. Locate with me if you haven't already on your phone, in your Bible. Second chapter of James. We're going to start with verse 14 and read down through verse 19. If you're able, would you stand? Let's uh, out loud read God's word together. You ready? Verse 14. Let's read. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If any of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the clear, honest bluntness that James writes to us today. And thank you that we get to worship you today. We've worshiped you as we've sung praises to you in song. Thank you that we got to worship you in giving and worship you as we celebrated communion. And Lord, we continue our worship now as we dig into the book of James. So would you meet us here today as we study? Uh, it's been a long and a challenging week for many here today in your church. Lord, I'm asking that you might be welcome today in your church. And would you recharge our batteries and refill our spiritual tanks? Lord, we're asking that your word might come alive and be active today in your church. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, James asks two questions in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, What good is it if a man claims to have faith but doesn't have any deeds? Can such faith with no deeds be saving faith? Now you need to understand we don't have a way to do this in English, but in the original Greek, the answer actually is given with the question. And it's given in the form of negatives. So let, me, let me tell you how it reads. What good is faith without deeds? And it literally says, implication negative, it's no good. Second question, can such faith save a person? And it gives you the answer with the negative, no, it cannot. So it gives you the question and the answer. He begins this section bluntly, strong, very clear. Faith that does not result in a changed life and good works is faith that's dead. Faith that doesn't result in good works is not a new birth, but it's a miscarriage. James then gives us a really practical, down-to-earth illustration. Verse 15. 
says this, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, and they come to you and they say, hey, we need some help, uh, and you say to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. Brother or sister here in the church says, hey, it's going to snow pretty soon. Maybe some of you have already seen some. Uh, and I don't have winter, a decent winter coat, I don't have boots, I'm running low on mac and cheese and romaine, and, and it's just not Roman, you know, I just have nothing in the cupboard, really, I don't. And they come to you and they say, I'm in trouble, uh, I need help, um, can you help me please? They just humble themselves and tell you that, and uh, it's clear you're in a position, you can help them, you can help your fellow Christian, and here is your help to them. I'll be praying for you. Uh, I will. I'll be praying and uh, go in peace, be warmed, be filled by Jesus Christ. Um, keep your spirits up. The sun will come out tomorrow. I'm sure of it. Yeah, all things are going to work together for good. Don't forget that. And good luck and God bless. Would you like me to put it on the prayer chain? <laughs> Here's what the Apostle Paul, John, excuse me, the Apostle John says. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. He's, he's all about actions. You know, Put your faith in gear. Get your faith moving is what our, our wristbands say, right? Get your faith moving. Faith that's not accompanied by action, James says, is dead. It's lifeless. It, it's useless. It, it has no effect on life. Living faith is accompanied by action. Living faith is active and obedient, and it shows itself in mercy and love. Dead faith is focused on an intellectual experience. It's correct words, correct knowledge, Correct doctrine, listen closely, give me your eyes. Correct truth and doctrine and theology are really important. Like, really important. But if you don't put it to practice, it's useless. If you know a lot about the Bible and Jesus, but there's no life change, and you're not living it out, he says it's worthless, it's dead, it's counterfeit. Doesn't make a difference. Luke chapter 10, you can turn there if you want, otherwise let me just go over a little bit. You'll remember there's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's attacked by robbers and left for dead. Do you remember that story? And uh, do you recall who passes by this uh, naked, dying, uh, really beat up guy who's lost everything? First of all, there's an Old Testament priest in the line of Aaron, a man of the cloth, a man who likely had large sections of the Old Testament committed to memory. He could defend the Old Testament with zeal. He knew much. But I'm pretty sure he had services to conduct, and he sees the man there beaten, bloodied, near death, and what does he do? He passes by on the other side of the road. Secondly, coming upon the 
bloodied, nearly dead man is a Levite. Levites were synagogue officials. This was a mover and a shaker in his religious circle, okay? Busy, religious man, knew lots of Old Testament. He too could defend the, the Old Testament and the Jewish faith with zeal. What does he do? You know, I got meetings. <laughs> I got lots of committee things going on. I don't have time for this. And what does he do? He passes by on the other side of the road and leaves the man for dead. Finally, it says in Luke chapter 10, there was a man, uh, a foreigner, who didn't know much probably about God's word. He's a Samaritan, doesn't know much Torah, doesn't uh, know lots about all of the detail, but his faith was alive and active. And you see that he demonstrated his faith by stopping, and what did he do? He bandaged the wounds, put the man on, a, on his donkey, took him to the inn. It says he spent the night nursing this man, and then in the morning he says to the innkeeper, uh, I'll come back, and any more that, that you have to use to take care of the man, I'll pay it. And Jesus says, you know what? That's the man whose faith was real. That's the real neighbor here, not the two men with great knowledge and detailed understanding of the Bible. The man who put his faith into action was the real neighbor. Our job, our duty as followers of Jesus is to act like people who know and love Jesus Christ. Okay, And they won't see that if it just is in our heads. Our job is to go to our jobs and go to our schools and to our neighborhoods and show the people around us practical ways that God loves them and cares for them, and they can see that in how we treat the people around us. Does that make sense? They need to see us in action. We're called into relationship with Jesus and get filled with His Spirit daily and then use the fruit of our faith to be kind to people at, on, on the job, to be helpful, to be caring, to be encouraging, to be supportive, to be generous, to be forgiving. And as we are all of those things to people around us, they're going to say, you know what, there's something different about you. There, there's something in you that I don't see in other people around me. Again, they'll see Jesus alive and well in us through our deeds, through our actions. Back to James, James chapter 2, verse 18, he continues on. And this is, this is pretty strong. He's going to go like, okay, I'm going to go up one more notch. But some will say, well, you have faith, but I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And now look at how where he goes here. Verse 19, that's where we left off in the reading. You believe there's one God, good. Talking about your faith. Well, you got lots of faith. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What? <laughs> Demonic faith? Yeah. Yeah, there is such a thing. <laughs> uh, demons, fallen angels, who are those? Those are the angels that in rebellion against Jesus fell with Lucifer, with Satan, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, 
you want to look that up in the coming weeks, pretty interesting. And James says that those fallen angels, Revelation says, one-third of all the angels in heaven, they rebelled and left with Satan. Those are the demons. He's, he says even the demons that fell with Satan, they have a demonic form of faith. What does that mean? You ready? They believe in the existence of God. <laughs> they used to be in glory. They, they understand that God exists. They know that Jesus Christ is God with skin on. They, know, they believe in His deity. Mark 3, verses 11 and 12. A legion of them had uh, gathered in a man, and they begged Jesus. They say, oh Jesus, Son of God, don't throw us into the abyss. Don't throw us into hell. Put us into some pigs. Do you remember that? Mark chapter 3, verses 11. They know who Jesus is. Demons, they know that hell and eternal judgment are coming. Luke 8, verse 31. Again, they know all about the abyss. They know that Jesus has the power to judge. Uh, demons believe that Jesus died on the cross. They were there, many of them. They know He was buried and arose from the dead to take care of the sins of the world. Demons were working through Judas and Pilate and Herod. Demons were cheering on the crowds. Come on! Demons believe that uh, they know the name of Jesus is something to be feared. How do, they, how do you, we know that? Look at verse 19. Here's, here's what James says very clearly. They know enough to shudder and tremble and cower at the name of Jesus Christ. They know Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords. They know Jesus defeated them when He arose from the dead. They know their time is short. They know Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, Satan is well-versed. He can use Scripture. He knows it better than we do. He was trying to twist it with Jesus, didn't get away with it. They know eventually Jesus is going to toss them in to the lake of fire, them and their general, Satan. Revelation 20 and verse 10. Go back, verse 19, what's the point? Okay. They know more about Jesus in the Bible than we will ever know, but they've never received Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's the difference. They, they've never surrendered their life. Demons have never invited Jesus to take charge of their life. They've never chosen to follow and live a life of obedience. Demons have lots of facts in their head. They know lots of stuff. They know intellectual knowledge about Jesus. But James is saying here, you know what? Biblical faith is more than knowing lots about Jesus. Biblical faith is knowing more than, than just listening to sermons and listening to good music and following all sorts of pot. Those are all good stuff. But if it doesn't translate into your life, into obedience, into actions, he's saying it's worthless. It doesn't make a difference. It's dead. Genuine faith is Jesus on the throne of my life through the power of his spirit, good fruit, Good actions, good deeds are the result. Does that make sense? In, in other words, make sure that your good deeds are a daily part of your life. And, and if Jesus really is alive in you, then he just can't help but leak out. And, and, and now, now that you know that that's what we're called to do, 
Now let that regularly affect those around you. True story from John Dixon's book, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission. There's one book. <laughs> I, I, I love books. I love to read. Larry Jones, write this one down because you're going to like it. Pastor Bob, get it down. Okay. I, I checked. It's available on, on the old Amazon. CBD, I suspect, has it. Really, it's, it's that good. Okay. Um, Here's why, okay, I'll just give you, I got a couple minutes I can do this, I uh, normally can't. But he, he's really, really smart, but he can say things that, that people like, like I and Larry can understand. You understand? So he, he keeps stuff on the bottom shelf. Cookies are there, really good stuff. Here's, here's a true story. Kathy was just six years old when her mother became ill with cervical cancer. The burden on her family was immense, made worse by the fact that Kathy's family was quite poor. Surgical techniques for this form of cancer were in their infancy in the 1970s, and they were considered experimental. Uh, it was experimental. Insurance wouldn't cover it. Very expensive. And as much as Kathy's mom wanted to live to see her four children grow up, Kathy's mom realized her options were pretty limited. A knock on the door changed everything. Kathy's family had never been involved with a church and yet somehow the local Baptist church had learned of their situation and wanted to help. Someone from the church came to Kathy's door and made an extraordinary offer. If you would allow us, said the stranger at the door, we as a church would love to pay for your operation. Naturally, the family accepted. Kathy's mom was soon in the hospital, had the surgery, the operation was a success. Kathy's mother recovered, and she lived to see all four of her children grow up. When Kathy tells this story, she's not shy about telling everybody, you know what? God used the kindness of that Baptist church to bring me and my family to faith in Jesus Christ. You understand? It was the action that brought her, Kathy, and, her, and now she talks about now her children and now her grandchildren are being reached for Jesus Christ because of the kindness of that church family. How that church family treated my family convinced me that there was a God and that He loves me. I just want you to know, it's that remarkable and unpredictable power of good works, of God's people, that we reach out and we show the love and kindness and mercy of Jesus Christ to those. It's powerful. And I promise you, if all of us would catch this today and start putting in, I'm going to go and I'm on a mission today that, Lord, as you show me people around me who need me to show them good works, just make it clear, I'm, I'm all in. Can I just tell you, I promise you, we would change northern Michigan. Why? Because they're waiting for us to actually put our faith into action. So will you be on the lookout this next week? Will you be asking, Lord, how can I better take care of the sick people that you put in my path? I'll bet you know somebody who's pretty sick around you. How, how can I meet the needs of this poor 
family that's right around me. And I suspect you have some folks who aren't doing very well, and the Lord put them right around you. What can I do to help this elderly person who's not doing all that well in my life? What can I do to help them out in their situation? There's this single parent I know is overwhelmed with life. What is it that I can do to actually reach in and show them the love of Jesus? Lord, what would you have me to do? I've got this depressed co-worker. Lord, how can I reach out and show them action, the love of Jesus? How can the light of Jesus Christ and his glory shine bright to the unbelieving world around me? It's really Matthew 5 is what it says. You know, we're this light on a hill. And oh, did you know that the light on the hill, that's all plural, which means that's us together. We're shining bright. And as we let our good deeds, let your good deeds shine so that the world can see Jesus and glorify him for all of his goodness. There is power in good deeds. There's life-changing power, and and it's through us. That's the fun part. He uses us, and he uses the church family as we let the light of Jesus Christ shine through us. So this next week ahead, Will you be on the lookout? And, and I, I promise you, if you start looking and saying, Lord, just show me, where would you like my light to shine? Where would you like my good deeds, my good actions to go? Make it clear. Look out. Here we go. Buckle up. It's going to be fun. It really is. I'm going to shine the light of Jesus Christ on the people he puts in my path. Bow your heads. Shut your eyes. Lord, thank you for the clarity and even the bluntness that you inspired James to write with. And I'm praying right now that you'd help us to do something really hard, and that's not just to be hearers of your word. Lord, I'm asking that you'd help us to actually be doers. And I believe with all my heart, Lord, you've called each and every one of us who know your Son as Savior and Lord, to shine brightly for you in this week ahead. To, to put, put our ideas and all the stuff we know about Jesus, all the facts, all the knowledge, all the doctrine, all the theology, Lord, help us to put that into our daily lives, would you? Help us to do and act on that. Help us to be people of action. And I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to do that corporately as a church. And Lord, we can't wait to see as we shine bright how you're going to use us to make a difference for your kingdom. That's what we really want. We want Jesus to be glorified. We want the name of Jesus to be spread. We want the name of Jesus to be the one who gets the honor and the glory and the praise. And now, Lord, as the ushers come forward, we're going to have another opportunity to be real practical here. Because as they come forward and we receive the benevolent offering, Lord, this is another opportunity for us to act and help out folks who are in need. And some of the funds are going to go to the church family, brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need And Lord, we even pray for them right now. 
And Lord, some of the monies we're about to give are going to go to those in the community who are a part of our needs program. Lord, I pray that these funds, as they're used, would shine bright. Help the folks who, who uh, are part of that needs ministry to realize this is your love in action. And might they want to know this Jesus that we are giving these funds to. We're giving it to Jesus to advance your kingdom, to lift high your name, to reach those who need to know you. So thanks. We love you, Lord. Thanks for allowing us as your church family to gather here together and worship. It's, it's the best part of my week. So Lord, thank you that we get to celebrate together. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Thank you.